few days ago, I received a Twitter DM from at River J. Gray. And among the other things he wrote was, quote, you're an embarrassment to any writer who seeks out truth and nuance. And then I got a Facebook message from someone named Mike D. And I don't know Mike D, but he wrote, hey, asshole, stay in California. And in this time of direct social media access between readers and writers, I just want to say, don't ignore it. That's right. Don't ignore it. Write back and write back well. To the guy who calls you an asshole, hey, you know what? I can tell something's bothering you today, but I appreciate you taking the time. To the guy who says you're an embarrassment, I'm really sorry you didn't enjoy my book. These things are really daunting. And I say this because I've learned through the years that hostility leads to more hostility and snarkiness leads to more snarkiness. But warmth and kindness, they remain undefeated. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers Singing Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's guest is Jesse Newell, the Kansas City Stars University of Kansas basketball and football beat writer and the author of a fascinating new piece headlined, He Reported Football Teammate Threats to KU, A Secret Document Paid Him to Go Home. And the story is about a scandal that rocked the Kansas Athletic Department. This is episode number 216. Let's sing to me. All right. Well, Jesse, you're the first guy I've ever had in this podcast wearing a hat representing his high school. And I don't know if that speaks to sort of a certain, maybe you have a certain regression, like you aspire. You're so fed up <laughs> by journalism. You wish you could go back to high school and restart start your career or just a loyalty to where you, where you are from. Emporia, Kansas, correct? Emporia, Kansas. Yeah. I guess just a loyalty to where I'm from. And uh, it's a little bit difficult to, to find hats and something that uh, looks good. You know, if, uh, if you're covering other teams out there and obviously uh, that's something that is a no, no in the journalism industry. So uh, if you're covering a team and see, get seen around with a hat of theirs, that's, that's not what, what's happening. So yeah, Emporia high, I figured that's uh, the way to go. And sometimes randomly, like I'll be at uh, I remember one time I was at Jason's Deli and Lawrence working and the Emporia High track team came in while I was there with all of their garb on. So I look like a, at least a coach or a team member there for a minute. Or some very weird adult. All of the above, probably, yeah. It actually is kind of funny. One thing, I've never thought about this before until right now. One thing about becoming a sports writer, especially when you're covering teams, is like when I was covering Major League Baseball, that was it. You couldn't wear a Major League Baseball hat. You couldn't wear a T-shirt. Uh, some freebie you get at the ballpark. First of all, you're not supposed to get them, but if you, whatever, they'll give it t-shirt day at Dodger stadium and you wind up with a t-shirt. You're never wearing that. You're giving it to your cousin. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and, and, and mine's a little bit different too, because you know, I'll do spot duty for the Royals and things like that. So even, even those sorts of things, it's like, um, you know, the, the, that will not ever be around or, or on. So it, it's the weird things that you think about uh, in this industry, but uh, that's, that's definitely part of it. But like I said, um, happy to represent the high school and, and happy to do it on the podcast here. So you are a University of Kansas graduate, 2006. You write for the Kansas City Star and you had a story. I love when this happens, actually. This is my, these are my favorite podcast episodes. When I see a story and I immediately reach out to the author and I'm like, can you come on today? And we'll talk, we'll break down the story. <laughs> I love that stuff. And the piece you wrote, so ran January, uh, excuse me, July 11th, 2021, Kansas City Star. Headline is, he reported football teammate threats to KU. A secret document paid him to go home. And it is a story of a former Kansas fo- football player named Caperton Humphrey, who um, was a fullback for the Jayhawks. And I'll just read your lead. Your lead was, 
Moments after the men charged into his apartment, Caperton Humphrey remembered the baseball bat in his bedroom. If they came at him and Humphrey believed he saw the imprint of a pistol in one man's jogging pants, he needed to plan a fight back. Uh, he needed a plan to fight back. For months, four of these men had been his teammates on the Kansas Jayhawks football team. Now they and about a half dozen others were in Humphrey's living room threatening him, his father, Jamie, and even Caperton's 15-year-old brother. Seconds later, Jamie Humphrey dialed 911, putting his phone on speaker before setting it on the countertop. Caperton Humphrey didn't know it, but the end of his time with KU football was just a few days away with this serving as the breaking point. The final resolution, KU's athletic department agreeing to pay him more than $50,000 in benefits to go home after reported threats and harassment from teammates. They bought him off. That's what they did. Jamie Humphrey told the star. They bought him off to keep his mouth shut. <coughs> and, you know, I signed on to my stupid Twitter account today and I see Les Miles trending and Les Miles was a coach of Kansas when all this happened. Um, I'm just going to, it's, it's kind of a big bombshell of a story. Um, I mean, soup to nuts. How did this happen? Yeah. Um, obviously you just mentioned the, uh, you know, Jamie being a part of the story, uh, the father, and he obviously reached out to me and, um, said, Hey, there's something here that I need to talk to you about and, and had over time. Um, and that was the start of this, but I think what people don't understand and I, I think journalists do, but, but maybe the outside public doesn't is just how much these stories take and take out of you and how long they take, because, um, this is a conversation that started months ago. I mean, this story has been in the works for months and the information that you get does not come all dropped into your lap. It comes pieces at a time or research at a time or, you know, police department at a time, those sorts of things. Um, but also, you know, when, when you hear from people, you're, you're not only naturally curious, but you're naturally skeptical because, uh, as you mentioned, this this is the Kansas City Star. Um, this is a, a major newspaper. So if we're going to report something, we need um, basis in fact, and we need documents and we need things to corroborate the story. So, um, yeah, basically started with that. And so, as we started checking things out and obviously, you know, uh, prop to some great editors I have at the star, not only uh, Chris Fickett, who's my media editor, but Greg Farmer and then uh, Mike Fannin, who's been, you know, now the, uh, the publisher, but used to be sports editor for a long time. So, um, you know, having them go over it and, and look at it and see what details we need and what we don't have and what we need to continue to get and continue to pry at and getting it so that we're at a point we're comfortable going forward. And, um, you know, that's what happened uh, here on July 11th. So yeah, that just piece by piece kind of putting this together. And like I said, it's, it's a months long process to try to get everything that you need all together in one. And at the same time, trying to figure out exactly what the story is. All right. So you're you're you and you're a reporter and you cover Kansas, you cover Kansas basketball, and you cover Kansas football. And you knew this guy, Caperton Humphrey, obviously, because you cover the team. So you were aware of his presence. Um, you knew he left the team a bunch of years ago. Did you have an inkling at the time? This was 2019 when he left. Uh, that something messed up had happened or did you was this just another player leaving a football team? No, I didn't have an inkling at the time. Um, you know, I. The thing about it was with him, he was a former walk-on. He came to campus, earned a scholarship and played some, you know, played in all 12 games. But, you know, these are sorts of things uh, that happen over the course of a season when you have, you know, whatever it is, 90 players, 100 players on a college football team, a guy will just not be at practice anymore and that sort of thing. So um, obviously didn't know the full extent of the story at the time. And uh, when 
you know, Jamie's father reached out, obviously learned more and more. And then you go digging, you go reporting, you go talking to people and finding documents and seeing uh, how much you can get and, and see what you can find with this. And um, I think maybe the uniqueness of this situation a little bit, as indicated in the story, is just that um, the willingness to share the documentation here. I mean, that there are text messages. There is this non-disparagement agreement in there. Um, again, there uh, we pulled a police report. We have record of a 911 call that took place. Uh, so there was a lot of hard evidence on events that did take place. And I, I think that obviously helped not only uh, narrate the story as it went and kind of tell the, the pieces of the story as things went on, but they also sort of, it, it made it pretty clear that, that something had happened and that these events that um, the family was claiming happened, you know, were backed up by other sources of material that were out there. All right. So how do you, I, I'm a big sort of soup to nuts guy. I really am like, um, he calls you. He's like, this happened to my son, blah, 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 blah. This is several months ago. He calls you as a reporter. So what is your, what are the specific next steps you take in making sure the story is legit? And, and that you can document it properly. Well, yeah, I mean, again, I think that this thing, it could have not gone anywhere if things had turned out differently or we didn't get things to our satisfaction to run it. But, uh, I mean, you start with interviews. Uh, you you talk to them about it. You talk to them about uh, what they experienced, you know, what they are saying happened. And then after that, it's like, okay, what, what can you do to um, – to further that with facts, to, to, to have documentation. And so, again, very early in the process, it seemed pretty clear that there was going to be uh, documents that we could get with this that was going to back up the things that Jamie and Caperton were saying about happened at their Kansas situation. And that makes it just so much different than uh, simply a, a he said, he said, or a he said, she said, or, or whatever the case may be. Because, um, you know, if you say that some somebody loosened your lug nuts and you suspected somebody, uh, one, of, one of your teammates did it, uh, but we don't know anything that happened. It's a little different when, oh, hey, I filed a police report and I can go pull that police report. And mm -hmm. hey, on this date, this is what he did. Uh, same thing. Uh, hey, Jamie says that w when these teammates, uh, along with others, rushed into uh, his son's apartment and threatened him, that he called 911 and put his phone on the countertop. We can go on record and say, hey, was there a 911 call that took place from this location in this, you know, one day period? Sure enough, it pops back and they say, yes, that, that call did happen. Um, and then, again, you go through some of the story and like the texts, um, the family can say, uh, you know, hey, that they felt threatened at the time or they feared for their life. But when you have Jamie's father texting someone uh, in KU's compliance department who says, uh, you know, my wife is fearful for my son, thinking that he, you know, these guys might kill him. Um, you know, th those are the sorts of things that if you just hear it from somebody in an interview later, uh, th that's one thing. But again, when these are backed up in other documents and other places where you can um, have it and, and put it in a story and say, this is uh, what happened. Th this is the, the conversation that happened and read this conversation that happened. Then I think it takes it to another level. And again, I mean, this, this goes back and forth with editors and that's why it, it becomes a months long process. You, you want to, you want to check everything out. And then not only that, uh, Jeb, you know this, uh, going through this whole process, once you even get it to a point where you start to um, feel like you have the formation of something, then now you're going back to everyone out there to say, 
what is your comment? You know, there, there's something in here about you here. Here's, you know, here's what's being alleged. What do you have to say? And so uh, that process takes some time as well. And to see if people are going to come back and say, uh, yeah, I have something to say uh, or no, I don't have anything to say. And uh, in this particular case, there were a lot of people that, uh, that, that chose to no comment. And again, that's their right. But uh, that as a journalist, it's something you have to do. You have to go at every party involved here and, and make sure that their voice is heard uh, as time consuming or as difficult or as frustrating as it might be when, um, you know, people are not responding uh, in the way that you might think they might. Wait, so when Jamie calls you, does he volunteer? Does he tell you I have the text messages? Because you use a lot of obviously there's a lot of reliance on text messages here. Does he make that clear early on or do you have to sort of convince him that you need to see documentation of some sort. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, I, I think in that first conversation, I sort of, um, toward the end of that said, you know, those are the sorts of things we'd be looking for because those are the sorts of things that can corroborate the story. And those are the things that, um, you know, can, can make it so that it rises to the level of reporting and knowing that um, these sorts of things are factual, you know, that they took place. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it was a conversation that we had. And again, um, that was something he was willing to provide and willing to give. And obviously it's a major part of the story. And it was a reason that, uh, you know, this particular story was reported out in the way that it was, is that, uh, you know, you can, you can see these things for yourself. You know, you can read these texts for yourself. You can read these emails for yourself and kind of um, put together the narrative in the words of the people that were actually using them at the time. And so I, I think that's what made it really unique, along with, again, just the non-disparagement agreement. Um, a lot of times when, you know, you can sometimes uh, open records act, these sorts of things, if you know they exist. But obviously with this one, there was really no way to know it existed. And so to have that document and to have it in front of you, you be able to read it and quote from it. Um, uh, that's obviously a major piece of the story. And just big picture wise from a 5,000 foot view, looking at it, it's, it's, it's a story in itself, uh, a story in itself that this document existed and was executed by uh, KU's compliance director, who was lifelong friends with uh, Caperton's dad. Uh, that's a story in itself. And so uh, that was sort of the angle that we pursued throughout the, the entire portion of the piece. Wait, so basically, you know, long story short, it's definitely worth reading um, and it's available at the, you know, Kansas City Star website is um, Kansas basically pays this guy off to vanish and they say, we'll give you basically 50,000 bucks, go away. And he goes away. Did Does this not violate the non-disclosure agreement that they had? And is that, was that an issue? Because they did agree to not say anything and just kind of go away and they took the money. So was that a, uh, was that an issue here? Yeah. So um, that was something, again, you're talking about when you're going through the process of dotting the I's, crossing all the T's, all those sorts of things. That was definitely something that was brought up. And there was a certain point where, um, you know, I did have to go back to the family and, and basically say it in those terms to just basically say, um, look, if if we're going to go and, and reach out for comment for a lot of people, it's going to be pretty clear that uh, that, you, that you're violating or potentially violating this document that you signed to, uh, is that something you're comfortable with? And again, um, there's a lot of different places where these sorts of stories can really hit the skids. And um, this was one of those where it was not a time where it did hit the skids and the family was comfortable with that. So, um, you know, in, in a general sense, uh, again, and going back to the big picture sense, could KU try to come back at him and, and 
the family and try to get that $50,000? Um, again, I'm not a lawyer. I don't, I don't know the answer to that question, but um, it's, it's also a question of whether it's worth the battle too, especially in the, uh, the world of PR, which is something that, you know, everybody will have to consider in their own time as well. So um, I think this was at a point where the, the family was comfortable coming forward. And uh, obviously, you know, Caperton had already had his benefits from that and were comfortable uh, going against that document if that was something that was going to come out legally. But it was definitely a discussion to have. And like I said, it's, it's why these sorts of things take some time, even if, uh, even if it doesn't look like that just on the paper or doesn't look like that uh, when people are, are quickly skimming through it. You have to ask yourself early on, like, what's the motivation of this guy? Like someone reaches out to you. Um, do you just get excited? Do you have a story or do you have to sort of ask yourself, what's this guy's angle and why is he reaching out to me? Yeah, I think, Jeb, I think you talked about it earlier, uh, or, or we both did, where you're always naturally skeptical um, or you're naturally curious and you're trying to um, – you hear from a lot of people, you know, you hear from a lot of people on the beat and, and it doesn't mean it always ends up as a story, but um, you see if, if you're curious as well. And as a journalist, you're not going to put yourself out there if you don't feel that you have the evidence. And obviously, like I said, with the, the great editors I work with at the star, they're not going to put our paper out there if the evidence is not there to support um, these sorts of claims and the sorts of things that, um, that, that we reported on in the story. So uh, yeah, that absolutely comes up. Um, and I, that, that is something where it's, it's your job to report and it's your job to gather facts and it's your job to go to everybody involved and see if they have something to say. And it's your job to write the, the most complete picture that you can with this. And then whatever happens from that happens from that. But I, I think it became very clear again, when you have the non-disparagement agreement, when you have the texts, when you have the emails, when you have the other documentation of the money he was going to be paid in the stipends, um, you know, when you have the police report, when you have the record of the 911 call, um, you're gathering all this together and you get to a point where you say, there's something enough here. And not only that, it's telling us a story that's, that something took place here. And um, again, there's lots going on, and I, I think one of the, the, the things is trying to focus in on, on what you're trying to, to focus people in on. And um, with this one, obviously, I think why it became such a big story today is, is just how Kansas handled the situation. And it felt like once we received all those documents and could kind of piece together what happened with that, how KU handled this became uh, the essence of, of what this was being reported for. It's kind of crazy. I mean, so basically you have this guy, he gets in an argument with teammates and then he goes for a drive and finds out the lug nuts are loosened on his tire. Like that's pretty freaking sinister vile stuff. Um, like that's not just like, that's not even just cracking a windshield. That's like setting up someone where he could actually die in a car accident. Um, you did not name the guys who he accused of doing this to him. I'm sure you know the names. You reached out to the guys. Why didn't you use their names? Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of things with that. Uh, I think the main thing is what I just mentioned, which was the overall focus of the story was KU's and, and, and how they handled the situation with the family. And kind of that was what we had the text, the emails, the document on. Um, and so these players that were on here, and again, you know, we, we did not name them, but um, 
the family alleged that they sold drugs, um, you know, sold marijuana, all those sorts of things barged into their apartment. But again, we went to get the copy of the 911 call. That was uh, the actual recording of it was denied uh, because um, the Lawrence police said it was part of the investigative record. But yet the police did not make up a police report with that. So, again, the players names are not connected to that. Um, and so at that point, you know, the allegations are there from the family, but it, it doesn't to me and to us rise to the same sort of standard that um, everything else played out with, with, with the documentation that we had. And so um, again, I think part of it's just trying to not get in the weeds and, and get away from what the, the, the main focus of the story was. But uh, part of it as well is just that um, this is one family alleging this against other people. And again, we did reach out to all four of those players. Um, like we said in the story, two of them declined to comment, two of them didn't, didn't, did not get back. But um, yeah, it, it, it was one of those things that was definitely discussed. But uh, at the end of the day, we stuck with the, the, the stuff, the, the documentation that we had, and, and again, focusing the story more on KU's actions with this rather than um, you know, the players. And so obviously that's been a question that we've gotten a lot uh, lately in the last 24 hours or so, but, but that was the main reason for it. Wait, so I'm really fascinated by this one. I'm not sure I, I, every now and then we, I've, I have little debates on this podcast. Sure. I feel like if players are trying to kill another player or potentially kill another player by taking the lug nuts out of his car, out of his wheel, that's kind of a big, I mean, it seems like a big thing to kind of just be like, yeah, but that's not really the focus here. No, I mean, was there, how much of a debate was there about what the focus of the story should be and how much emphasis we place here as opposed to there? Yeah, there was some. I mean, I, I think, again, the, the difficulty of it is that if that was in a police report, if that was in a 911 call, if, if that was tied directly to people, then, again, you feel like that there is documents, there is evidence, there is um, things you can – um, you know, really grab onto with that. This just a little bit different. And again, this, this is this is why you know reporting is reporting and journalism is journalism. Where I'm trying to figure out what is the crux of the story and and how to craft it moving forward. And um, again, th this this was something that was talked about, um, debated. But at the end of the day, um, that's the question: is if if you name those players, does that become the focus? And then is the main focus the question why? those players were named when there wasn't more to link them to these events other than a family alleging that. So uh, I think that's the main uh, gist of, of what the discussion was with that particular part of it. But uh, like I said, um, all these things are things that are discussed and talked about quite a bit before uh, this thing ever goes to press. And it's a, you also said, so this, you tried reaching the four guys who he were kind of accused of doing this. Was that you who made those calls? Yes. Yes. How I mean, those calls are the most awkward freaking things in the world. What was that? You're basically calling these guys to ask something really, you know, they don't want to be asked. What is that? What is that like? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's messaging, um, you know, today's day and age, that's usually oh, yeah. the way uh, to, to do it. But um, no, it's again, it's, it's part of this that isn't um, <laughs> it's part of this that I don't think a lot of people think about. I'm glad you asked about it because yeah, it is, it's, it's, um, it gets your heart rate going for sure. It's, it's, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, reporting is reporting and you owe it to those people to be able to tell um, what happened. And uh, if, if there is part of this story that we need to know about, 
that needs to be reflected in there, then that is part of my job to reach out and make sure that, um, that we're, we're listening, that we're listening. And so, you know, I, I did, obviously that I'm sure there's people out there that say, Hey, this is one-sided. This is, you know, only telling the family side of things, but, um, the unfortunate part of it is that's, that's not from a lack of effort. That's, that's because a lot of people are not commenting on the story. I mean, if you go down the list of people, you know, um, Jeff Long, the former AD did not, um, respond. Les Miles did not respond. You know, KU Athletics and David Reed didn't comment. And then obviously reaching out to those four football players and two of them declining comment and two of them not responding. So, um, I, I, listen, it's pretty clear from the message I sent what it was going to be about. And obviously, you know, using Caperton's name was, was going to, um, make it pretty clear that, uh, this, the story, um, <laughs> you know, th- th- what, what the story was going to be about, but, you know, there's even other parts of this. Um, you, you talked about, you know, what you do to try to, to, to corroborate the story and, and, and see what details you can get. Um, you know, I, I, I called up Caperton's ex-girlfriend and talked to her on the phone. Um, that's quoted in the story. Uh, the two have been broken up for more than a year. Uh, uh, she actually uh, had no idea I was calling. So again, another one of those where it's um, uh, a conversation that you don't know you're going to get yourself into. But uh, again, and I think it added context because here's somebody who um, doesn't still have communication with Caperton, but yet saying, yeah, I was there and, and this is what I observed from the bedroom and, and this is the same sort of thing that happened. So again, it's all about making as many phone calls as you can make. And that's why, you know, if you look up and down the story, it, it might just be a sentence, it might just be a paragraph, but the extra people that you call and the extra people you reach out to, um, it all adds up to what you get in the end. All right, wait, I'm fascinated by this. So you called Caperton's ex-girlfriend and did he know you were calling her? Was he like, you should call her or is this your own sort of, yeah, he, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He knew. And you call her kind of out of, do you text first or do you call first? Uh, I, I think I called and I didn't get a, an answer, as I recall. And then she called back within a few minutes. So, yeah. And is she like, like you did not use her name in this story. Is she saying, I'll talk to you, but don't use my name. Like, what is that like? And how cautious is she? And how do you get her to open up a bit about it? Yeah, I, I didn't know what to expect. I, I really didn't. But again, you're you're just searching for um, you're searching for what you can get here. So, uh, yeah, I remember just basically saying, "Hey, um, you know, this is this is how I got your number. This is why I'm contacting you, and and this is specifically what I'm looking for is this specific incident and what you remember about it." And um, yeah, she she actually was pretty open about it. And uh, after being surprised that I had called, was. Um, pretty forward about, you know, the things that she remembered and, and what she had said. And so, like I said, it's it's a little detail in the story. It's probably something that most people kind of go past pretty quickly, but it, it just kind of adds another uh, piece of reporting where that's somebody who was there who is outside of Caperton's direct family and obviously outside of the other people that are in the apartment who witnessed what took place and um, at, at least could speak to that regard and, um like I said, because uh, the two are broken up, did not have a direct tie to Caperton to, um, to, to have to say things one way or the other. So um, like I said, I, it's a little piece to add to it. And um, it was an interesting phone call to say the least, but uh, I think it was able to add a little bit to the story. I actually disagree with what you're saying. I don't think it is a little piece. I actually think it's kind of a big piece. And I, I um, I'm a firm believer in little things being very important in stories. Like it, it adds to the credibility of the story. It's a different party witnessing it. So I actually don't, I don't even think that's slightly little. I think the girlfriend talking is kind of huge and I, you know, making the extra call is kind of a big part of this business. So I actually 
hundred percent agree with you. I think that's <laughs> major calling the girlfriend was a major and getting the girlfriend was a major coup on your part. I thought. Yeah. I mean, I asked the family, I said, was anybody else there? And, and he had said his girlfriend and I said, well, <laughs> is that somebody I could, you know, reach out to and see and see what happens. And uh, yeah, that, that was the final result. So I appreciate you saying that, but I mean, that's the sort of things that, that go through your mind when you're trying to say, Hey, um, is there any other way? Who else is there? How else can, um, can I get at what happened this particular night? And uh, like that, that was one way to get at it without, you know, go calling directly or, or talking directly to the parties involved. And again, I talked to all of them too, but um, getting somebody who, who really doesn't particularly have a dog in the fight, at least in this point in time, uh, I, I was hoping to, to at least get something from that. My, uh, the, the part that just had freaking steam coming out of my ears is you wrote, um, this is Caperton. He and his dad said the family requested a meeting with Miles the next day, but it was declined. Miles did meet with Caperton and the four other football players, though, though asking both sides to apologize. Neither side obliged. Miles, according to Caperton and Jamie, offered a different solution. The players would settle their differences on the practice field, pitting them against each other head-on in full contact drills. If I were Caperton's freaking parents, and some co- my kid is being threatened, and bunch of some player took the lug nuts out of his car, and the coach is like, "Be a man, settle it on the field." My my reaction is just, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Like that is beyond ass nine. It's insulting. Um, I thought that was a really good detail, like a really good detail. Yeah. And it's something, uh, obviously I think Caperton has a quote right after this, uh, right after that point where he says, um, forget this, which I think forget was our way of, our, of cleaning up. A, he wasn't a quote, saying which, forget. Yeah. He didn't say forget, but, um, yeah, I, I think that that, that particular meeting probably was the beginning of the end when that sort of thing happened. And, um, so yeah, that was, it's interesting. I know you've talked about this with other people and I know I talked offline with you, like a shout out to Jeff Passon because just last week I was listening to two riders slinging Yang as I was um, mowing my yard here in Kansas and weed whacking. So uh, you guys uh, enter- entertain, me as I'm doing, I just, I, entertain me as I'm doing my lawnscaping here, but um, yeah, no, it's, it's um, with, with those sorts of things uh, just definitely trying to, uh, I don't think you have to be a football player to understand the emotion of the top part. Um, and I think that's maybe we try kind of what you're getting at too, Jeff, is that, um, you know, you can be a parent, you can be um, somebody who's played on a team, you can be a father, you can be um, a brother or a sister. Uh, but, but, you know, these are all things that you can relate to. Um, and, and that, I think you're hitting on it with that, that, that sort of, if that happened to you and you're picturing that in your mind and you're picturing it again, as I'm a father or you're a father, whatever, we come at this from our own experiences, but uh, it, it makes it more of a story that I think, uh, you know, broadens its horizons a little bit and, and becomes more relatable to a greater people than just college football fans. When you, uh, when you write a story like this, um, are you destined to get a lot of negative backlash? Does that come with covering a college sports program? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. One hundred percent. Yeah, I knew <laughs> I, I knew that this was probably going to be a bad day for me, honestly, um, because, yeah, this, these things come out and, you know, listen, you, again, you spend months of your life and you do what you do and this is part of the job. And so this is what we sign up for. And, and this is this is a very important part of what we do. Um, you know, watchdog sort of 
investigative journalism is something Kansas City Star takes great pride in. And so it's not something that we back down from or shy away from. But yeah, I mean, I, uh, I mean, I knew that a lot of Kansas fans were not going to be very happy with me today. I mean, I knew that. And I knew going in that certain people at Kansas aren't, are and were and still are not going to be very happy with me. Again, that's part of it. But um, again, this is this is part of the gig. This is a very important part of, of what we do. And um, this just is not something we're going to shirk away from. It's not something we're going to shy away from. And so, um, yeah, it, it's, <laughs> you know, you always talk about, you know, what's the, the most you get mother after or whatever, the most you ever get screamed at or whatever. But, you know, I, I woke up in 3 a.m. this morning and, I, you know, can't get back to sleep. And, and you know that that call could come from one of 30 different places today. So um, Wait, have you yeah. got calls today? I did not get calls today. No, I did not get one today, but again, it, you know, it's possible, you know, the stories popping up at 5.00 AM, you know, that people are going to be upset. You know, um, there's a lot of parties involved with this that obviously didn't comment before and, and could be either wanting to comment or be very frustrated now. So um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's part of the gig, but it also, you know, causes you to wake up at two fifty-five and not be able to get back to sleep. So, um, you, you know, exactly what you're getting into and you know that this is going to be one of those days. Are you a guy who checks his Twitter mentions? Like, have you been checking Twitter all day and catching? Heat? Yeah. I mean, listen, if you're a journalist nowadays, it's hard to, to not see Twitter. I mean, it's, it's part of your job. You gotta, you gotta gauge what's out there and see the breaking news and everything. So, yeah. And I mean, it's, Obviously, there's a lot of reaction to it today. <laughs> you mentioned uh, I saw Les Miles, you know, was trending on Twitter, and so um, yeah, that that's that's something you do. It's something that's pretty natural, I think. And so you uh, you monitor what goes on, and you see kind of gauge what's out there. And uh, I think that's a, a pretty natural response to to what happens nowadays. Wait, so um, you've covered a lot of coaches at Kansas, Kansas, <laughs> Kansas. I just want to say Kansas football going in reverse. 2020, 0 and 9, 2019, 3 and 9, 2018, 3 and 9, 2017, 1 and 11, 16, 2 and 10, 0 and 12, 3 and 9, 3 and 9, 1 and 11, 2 and 10, 3 and 9, 5 and 7. Your last winning record, Kansas' last winning record was 8 and 5 in 2008. Um, that's a lot of shit football you've covered. Was Les Miles was only there for two years. One was obviously a pandemic scarred year. Um, what was he like to sort of cover and deal with as a college head coach? It was, um, yeah, it, honestly, it was pretty short lived and that's been Kansas coaches for a while now, but especially with a pandemic season when everything was on, uh, you know, zoom, <laughs> you really don't do much with the coach at all then. And even before that, um, you know, he, he obviously had the reputation of being kind of a, a fun loving goofy sort of guy, but, um, he really wasn't around that much, uh, you know, outside of press conferences where we would all go in and talk to him for 20 minutes and he'd march out. And um, that, that is becoming more the norm nowadays, honestly, with beats is that you, you don't really get to see or talk to these guys very much outside of the very formal settings. And um, th that was basically the case with Les Miles. And, you know, every once in a while he'd, he'd crack a joke or whatever. And, and sometimes after games, you could follow him out in the hallway and, and get a comment or two, but, um, you know, that they're really, it was a short time period and it was made even shorter because again, you say two seasons, but it really was sort of only one, because if you're only seeing a guy on a, on a computer screen, um, that's not much at all. 
not only that, I, I was transitioned a little bit during the pandemic to some politics coverage uh, for the Kansas City Star uh, right before the election happened as well. So I was transitioned away from the beat for a couple months there, right as the uh, election was happening. So that took me away too. But um, yeah, it, it was, it's, it's kind of becoming, it's, it's sort of fascinating its own way. I know you talk a lot about the, the baseball clubhouses and, uh, you know, obviously the awkwardness of them and how they're not set up well, but uh, the college beats a little bit different from that because sometimes, you know, that, that sort of interaction is something you get maybe once or twice a year, you know, the NCAA tournament still opens locker rooms up if they allow that after the pandemic. But um, these formal settings where if they go up to a table, talk to you for four or five minutes and then walk away. And then the coach comes up to the table and talks to you for eight or nine minutes and walk away. That's, that's about all you get a lot of times. So it, it forces you to become um, more creative, I think, in your coverage and to not be as reliant on access when it comes to, you know, video breakdowns or analytics or doing something a little bit different um, to try to, to give readers, um, you know, a piece of you that's, that's different from all the other writers out there. So, um, but yeah, for, for Les Miles, it was, it was pretty short lived and it probably wasn't as eventful or entertaining as many people would have expected just because of the short nature of it. And obviously uh, you didn't get to interact with them as much as you might have, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. Which was it, let's say you're uh, you're covering Kansas football and you want to talk to the quarterback. You want to do a profile of the quarterback. Uh, that used to be really easy. Uh, forget pandemic. I'm just saying in general, like that used to be really easy. You call the SID and he'll say, come on down and we'll give you a, take a half. A bunch of years ago when I was uh, at Bleacher Report, Sam Darnold, USC, I called up USC. Come on down. I sat down with him for an hour and a half. Easy peasy. Um, does that not exist anymore? Uh, it does. Um, again, it, it's sort of. It's just a little different. I mean, you can request it. It doesn't always have to be granted. And I think this is, we're probably making a little different case because it's, it's obvious you just read the records of KU football and then obviously KU basketball. So those two sports are a little bit different, obviously with the media access and the coverage, you have a much better chance of getting with football. And um, in the past, you know, that's been able to happen if you want uh, not an hour and a half, maybe 15 or 20 minutes with somebody on their own on a different day. You're, you're probably able to do that uh, with basketball. It's just much, 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 much more difficult. And like I said, sometimes, um, that makes it so that when the Big 12 tournament, the NCAA tournament come at the end of the season, it's like a gold mine for all of us because we're thinking, oh, my gosh, all these stories all year. We've been dying to ask these people, you know, um, you know, last year and even in the Zoom world, there was a guy who was kind of a part time starter for Kansas. And I don't think we talked to him until February because they just never brought him to a, a postgame press conference. You know what I mean? So you can kind of get those sorts of dynamics as well. So it's possible. Um, it's, it's not as possible as it used to be. And even, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit old of, from when I used to, you know, start back in uh, 2006, 2007, a little bit easier then. But like I said, it just forces you, I think, to be a little bit more creative and uh, a little bit more resourceful every single day on the beat and not have to rely on that when you don't have to. Again, profiles are great. Long-term things are great. If you want to, you know, request one or too, but I think the day-to-day -day stuff and the analysis, uh, you really sort of have to do on your own. It's actually really interesting. Uh, I don't think there's a bigger split winning program, losing program with one writer than you covering Kansas men's basketball and Kansas football. Um, obviously, as a journalist, you're not supposed to care who wins and who loses and you're covering the team objectively. Is it more fun covering a winning team than a losing team or can the losing make for just as intriguing as sort of narrative? Yeah, it's just different. I don't think it's one's, I mean, I think 
the obvious answer here is that people care more about Kansas basketball, you know, like, like the stuff you're writing is going to be more well-read and it's really difficult. Like week seven of a Kansas football season. Cause you just read the records. Oh, and nine, three. I mean, by that point, it's already basketball season again. So, you know, you're going to really have to grip people to get them to read a Kansas football story because they've already moved their attention on, but you're right. I mean, there are times when Kansas football, um, I remember a couple of years ago, Kansas was going through one of its losing seasons and some of my top, you know, if we want to use page views as a metric, I mean, one of my top, some of my top stories were these KU football game stories that were just, I mean, almost incredible to cover because of the things that were happening. I mean, there was a game, I remember KU played at TCU where um, the Jayhawks had negative yards going into the fourth quarter and hadn't advanced past their own 35 yard line until like the six minute mark of the fourth quarter. And I mean, when you get things like that, it's like, I mean, you're just, you're still in the same reporter mode. You're still in like, you know, what, what's all that I can grab here? You know, how can you tell this a different way? And again, you know, the, the quotes are gonna be a little crappier, probably. Uh, <laughs> they're not gonna be as happy to talk to you afterwards. And uh, sometimes a, a poor soul who's a team captain has to come and face the music. And we always appreciate um, the people who understand they have to do that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a different sort of challenge. And uh, I think over time, you know, sometimes you have to get a little bit more creative to get people to embrace the stories around Kansas football or, um, you know, write things that are going to catch their attention and make them read because otherwise it's just another story about an 0 and 5 team that's in a lost season, which can be very easy to fall into that trap if, if you're not looking for creative, creative ways to write about it. Do you feel like um, covering college sports, you can be a little more protective of athletes than if you were covering an NFL team? Like, is there any part of you that feels like, I need to go a little bit easier on these guys because this guy's 19 years old and one year out of high school, as opposed to a 30 year old seven year NFL veteran. That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure I've ever looked at it that way, but I think probably where my mind has gone more and this kind of focuses more on uh, current events more than anything else is that these athletes have not been compensated and the ones that are getting compensated are, the coach, you know, the athletic director, uh, the people in the athletic office. And so um, probably I've had a little bit of um, sympathy toward that is that, yeah, you know, maybe the kid had a bad game. Maybe um, this thing happened to this team because um, uh, the kid didn't perform as well. But, but then again, you know, he's not the one making $5 million a year. Uh, he's the kid that's trying his best uh, on the campus. And, you know, sometimes things don't go that way. So, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know if I've ever specifically thought about that. And again, I haven't, I, I've covered KU basically my whole career as a journalist. So I, I haven't really, you know, I'll spot cover the Royals or spot cover, uh, help out with the Chiefs every once in a while when they make Super Bowls like it's happened lately. But, um, but I mean, primarily what I've done is college writing to begin with. So it's, it's sort of me just in the mode that I'm in most of the time. But I would say that there is at least a little bit of that to know that um, the people getting paid here are the ones at the top. And so uh, they might lend themselves to a little bit more criticism than, than the guys that are out there playing. Right. Um, I found a, I found an article. It was a column from Kathleen Nelson in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch from March 2002. And it was a little mention where it says uh, she wrote, like the menacing swarm from Hitchcock's of birds, fans of Kansas Jayhawks took over the dome for the evening session and especially rabid bunch lined the railing by the exit ramp in hope of slapping some skin with coach Roy Williams and the players uh, after warmup. Jesse Newell of Emporia, Kansas claimed to be the only one at the rail to have touched all the players and coaches. Newell and his pal, Mike Rincon also earned the honor of most fabulous hat. 
He tore a half basketball with isolates, topped with a stuffed Jayhawk. And I'm actually genuinely, that is you, I'm assuming. That's me. You got it. I am fascinated by something. Um, you're, you went to Kansas. You were a Kansas fan. You went to games. Um, you obviously cared whether they won and lost. Is there a process one has to go through or an adjustment one has to make uh, from college kid to journalist when you are covering the team that you used to cheer for? Is it, is it as easy as just turning it off or is there a sort of gradual adjustment to, you know, just being fully objective about the subject? Yeah. So I, I think uh, my colleague at the star, Sam Mellinger really says it well, he, he talks about this a lot and he gets this question a lot because um, it's the same sort of thing. You know, he grew up in Lawrence, uh, you know, which is where uh, KU is and obviously had a lot of the same experiences. I, I see with you, you've got the, uh, he's one of the biggest fans of Bo Jackson. I see that you got that in your background here as well. So my daughter's room, uh, my daughter's yeah, bedroom. Bo Jackson I, yeah. He, I mean, he loves love. I mean, that was like his, I think they say that whoever you, you, you loved when you were nine years old, like, you know, that's, that's where you are as a fan, like the, or as a mindset the rest of your life. And so, you know, he obviously he's a big Bo Jackson guy, but you know, he just says it changes and it just does. I, I know it's tough for people to understand um, that, that don't have this field and don't have this industry, but um, you know, he talks about, and he, he's a columnist and you know, one of the best ones in the nation is, you know, as, as, as people can see out there, but you know, you don't cheer for the teams. You, you sort of cheer for yourself. You cheer for the stories. You cheer for uh, what's going to help you make deadline. You cheer for uh, the narratives. Um, you know, what's fascinating, you know, what, what you think you can write, what you think you can bring um, to this particular story that's different from um, anybody else. And so um, it's, listen, it's something, it doesn't matter what my past is. The fact that I graduated from Kansas is going to immediately get people to say, all sorts of things about me. And um, again, honestly, I've read it on Twitter today. I mean, there's a lot of people today that, that say I'm the biggest Kansas homer ever. And there's a lot of people today that say that nobody has ever written more, you know, mean stories about KU than, than Jesse Newell has. So um, again, that's, it's, it's just part of the gig, but I, for me, I, it's, I have a job to do. It's, it's a job to do. And again, I've been covering this beat for so long that any of those feelings that were there before, uh, they're not there now. It's, it's, it's totally different and it's, it's totally, um, <laughs> a change. And again, it's, it's sort of part of what we kind of open this with, which is the Emporia high Spartans cap. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, it, it is weird sometimes to be a sports journalist and not really to be able to, uh, to, to cheer for the home team. Cause that's not what you are. And that's not what you do. And you see sports in a different way. You see angles in a different way. You see people in a different way. And obviously you see programs and the people, that run it in a different way. And so, like I said, um, at the end of the day, the, the work's going to speak for itself and um, what you do and what you write and how you report and, um, you know, how hard you try to tell that story is, is going to speak for itself. So, um, like the work with today, uh, again, uh, many, many people are going to have many, many different opinions on that. We all understand that and we all know we signed up for and I knew going in that there was going to be some uh, reaction to it uh, negatively on my part. But like I said, yeah, you do what you do and, and you see sports in a completely different way than, than you did before. And uh, that's the case with me. And I'm sure it's the case with many, many other people out there. One thing I've had this conversation about 8,000 times now in my life where someone will say, um, man, you're so lucky you get to do that job, blah, blah, blah. And I say, do you love the Mets? Y'all love the Mets, love the Mets. You love the Knicks, love the Knicks. I'm like, this is not the job for you. Like you yeah. can't, 
you can't be a fan. Like you just can't. So, you know, people think we're like fans in hiding. I don't really think we are. I think we're people who kind of accepted this is our fate. Well, and it's interesting landscape nowadays, Jeff, too, because um, there are certain positions, I think, that would lend themselves more to that. You know, there's lots of recruiting sites out there. And um, the big part about recruiting sites is you have to you have to build relationships and you're building relationships with people on the team. And it's sort of a, you know, scratch my back, you scratch, I'll scratch yours sort of thing. And, and that's the sort of symbiotic thing that gets people scoops and gets people recruiting news and, and makes it so that people subscribe to you. So um, it's, I do think though, you know, with the fewer and fewer beat reporters that are out there. I mean, when I was in college working for the Topeka Apple journal, you know, I was one of, you know, this is Friday nights, you'd go in and take, box scores. And I was one of eight part-timers and, you know, we had eight people on the desk working to, you know, hammer away and put the pages up. Uh, you know, right now the Topeka Capital Journal has one sports writer. I was one of eight part-timers back in the day. I mean, with the elimination of these jobs, um, it, it's just crazy. Uh, you know, it's, there are fewer and fewer people, I think, in a position like I am to be able to, you know, seek out these sorts of stories that came out today and then report them how they should be reported and to be able to um, not feel any sort of draw to, or, or uh, to, to, to not tell a story because of the particular, you know, motivations that they have. And so I hope that continues in journalism. I hope that, um, you know, people continue to go out there and, and, you know, keep themselves objective when they need to and um, to be able to report the things that are difficult to report and that are going to make people upset sometimes and that uh, obviously are, are going to, um, you know, <laughs> um, make it uncomfortable for you at times, but it's important. It's what we do. And like I said, uh, especially at the star, it's something we definitely strive for. And uh, hopefully that's something that we can continue on uh, even as uh, we, we all face these challenging times in journalism. Before we continue with Two Writers Slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman, and I'm here with my daughter, Casey. And uh, I've got to say, you seem a little overwhelmed this summer. I really am. It's just so hard to keep up. Mask? No mask. Doja Cat or Dua Lipa? Edible arrangements? Or just regular flowers? It's all too much. I'm really sorry about that. It's okay. At least the one dependable thing I can depend on is 503 Sports, the king of throwback sports merchandise. Uh, about that. What? Well, they've sort of changed their name. 503 Sports is now Royal Retros. It's the same throwback gear, it's the same awesome prices, it's the same quality, just a slightly different name. Not 503 Sports, Royal Retros. All available at royalretros.com. Next thing you're going to tell me is Jacob deGrom isn't starting the All-Star game. I'm required by law to ask you this question, and since you have listened to the podcast, you might know it comes. What is the angriest the subject has ever been to you in your journalistic career? Oh, yeah. Um, Might be less miles today for all we know. No. Well, yeah. I, it, it, it has been, um, you know, I, I'm <laughs> Bill Self, uh, Bill Self. It was Bill Self. And uh, I was a younger journalist and it was something where I, Looking back, I, I, I did something. I, I mostly deserved it. So, but, you know, the important part of that too, Jeff, and you talk about this all the time and it's so important. Um, I answered the call. I saw who was calling. I knew what they were calling about. I knew it was not going to be a pleasant conversation, but you answered the call. 
And uh, that was an unpleasant conversation for me. And like I said, looking back, um, I think there was reason for it to be unpleasant. And it was a situation I would have handled much differently uh, than I did at the time. But um, like Wait, I you said, feel like I, you were unfair in hindsight to Bill Self. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Uh, in this particular situation, I, I think that, yes, I think there was there was ways that <laughs> I think sometimes when we're you gain wisdom with age, I, I think sometimes when you're a little bit younger, you get pretty sure of yourself and what you do know. And I think as you get older, you realize there's a lot that you don't know. And so I think I was a guy that back in the day was pretty sure of myself and pretty sure I was um, just as smart as anybody out there. And, and you know, um, was quoted as saying some things that um, were pretty prop, prop. I was actually quoted in a different story when this happened and uh-huh. said said some things that, um, again, I it's it's weird for journalists to say this. I, I didn't think I was quoted correctly in there, of course, but um, the the. What was said in there was probably still me not be saying things that uh, that, that sh- I should have been saying as a as a young journalist who was maybe too cocksure uh, at the time. So, um, like I said, uh, was all of it warranted? Maybe not. But was some of it warranted? Probably so. And so, um, listen, like I said, I, I know these calls are coming. These calls have come recently. These face to face conversations have come recently in this in this you know most recent story, um, you know, when when people you know, are just going to be, um, you know, not happy with what you write. But part of it is showing up. Part of it is, is answering the call. And part of it is, is knowing those things are going to happen and always um, being there. And uh, you talk about it all the time. And I do think that that is important. Like the major league beat reporter who shows up every day. Uh, if you listen to them and you hear what they have to say and you show up the next day, then I think that's going to gain you some respect. Well, I think the thing I've said this on my podcast many times before, and I just think it's one of the most important things. Like I am almost 50 years old. That call from Bill Self, that call sucks no matter how old you are. And getting chewed out by someone sucks no matter how old you are. And anticipating an angry call. And you people think, oh, it gets easier. It actually doesn't get easier. You just learn and come to the realization that you have to walk through the fear. And you and there is another side to it, but you just have to walk through it. But it doesn't get easier and it never doesn't suck. It always sucks. You just learn instead of avoiding it, you just learn, all right, I just got to deal with this and it's going to suck. It's part of the job. Yeah, you absolutely. Um, it's it's sort of like with these stories where you were talking about contacting these players. Is it difficult? Yes. Is it uncomfortable? Yes. Is it part of the job? Yes. So that's what you do. And that's the same thing. You know, if I see my phone ringing and it pops up and that's a number I know is, is not going to be happy, you answer the call. That, that's your job. That's what you got to do. And uh, yeah, no matter what the result's going to be and no matter how much, um, you know, <laughs> you know what might be coming, uh, that is what you are being hired to do. And that is what your role is as a journalist. So um, you answer that call, you, you talk to them. And like I said, on the other end of it, you're usually in, in okay shape because uh, you did what you were supposed to do. Well said. Well, Jesse, I, uh, you've survived your, uh, your debut appearance <laughs> on two writers slinging yang. And I, uh, I pre, I think you're the first Kansas city star reporter to do the show. So um, I appreciate having you. Hey, thanks so much, Jeff. I want to thank today's guest, Jesse Newell, for joining me on Two Riders Singing Yang. You can follow Jesse on Twitter at Jesse Newell and read his work in Kansas City Star. If you have a chance and enjoy Two Riders Singing Yang, please go to the vehicle of your choice and leave a nice review. I make no money for doing this, and I depend on word of mouth. Music is by the all-time great MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing. <laughs>